When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Marvelous Disney, the podcast that discusses the most recent doings at one of the more dynamic divisions of the Walt Disney Company, which is, of course, Marvel Entertainment. This is entertainment writer Jim Hill and my co-host, the amazing Aaron Adams, and I are recording this week's episode on Wednesday, April 6, 2022. We're going a little late this week, folks, because both Aaron and I had to watch uh, episode two of Moon Knight, which we'll discuss at length in the second half of today's show. And on the other hand, only one of us has seen Morbius. That would be me. Uh, and we'll be Jim discussing. Jim has taken the silver bullet for the team, and he is being awarded 15 Marvelous Disney Cool Points. Give it up for Jim Hill, everybody. <laughs> and Remember, they have no value. I, I have very mixed feelings about this film, which was better than I expected. But we'll get to that on the second half of the show. Aaron, you wanted to start off with a little DC-related news in regard to Mr. Ezra Miller. Is that correct? Yeah. Ezra got himself into some trouble, and the the hows and the whys don't matter. But what does matter is that the WB execs have put a... a, Well, they've considered putting a pause Mm -hmm. on any upcoming Flash projects, which is sad because... Mm -hmm. You don't want anyone to lose their job. However, fans out there have a really good idea for a replacement. They're cheering for Gustin Grant, who's the Flash from the WB, or the CW version Mm -hmm. of the Flash. And, uh, you know, now that they've done their little crisscross multiverse thing uh, and established that both both people can be in the same place at the same time, I guess if they need to let one exit and another one enter, that's not so bad. Yeah, you have to remember that Ezra is also supposed to be taking part in the Fantastic Beasts, the Secrets of Dumbledore press stuff that's going on, because that's going to open the 18th of this month. Oh, well, it's too late for that. I don't think they would go out of the the length of editing him out of it. My mistake, the 15th, not the 18th. Okay, but either way... Yeah. Well, after the week that Bob Chapek had, or weeks that Bob Chapek had last month, it's time for the Warner's execs to get in the barrel. Right. Is a spotlight over there to the west. <laughs> there we go. All right. Again, lots of news this week, folks, about uh, which we'll get to in a sec. But as always, the news portion of this week's Marvelous Disney is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Jim Hill Media Podcast Network. For a worry-free travel experience, please book online at storybookdestinations.com. And as Mr. Testa is known to say, you know, every show should begin with a hearty round of self-congratulations. So, Aaron, uh, last week we were talking about those scenes that had been changed in Episode 3 of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Hollywood reporter, senior staffer Ryan Parker got Disney on the record about these changes that a Reddit reader had noticed. And Aaron's prediction that this wasn't something sinister, this was just a tech issue, turned out to be true. This is Disney's response to Mr. Parker's query. Eagle-eyed fans were right. An episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier had been altered on Disney+. However, I've heard from a reliable source it was a software control issue and that the wrong file was recently published accidentally. It's being corrected immediately. So, a little slight pause here for Aaron to pat himself on the back. Oh, my arm. I broke my arm. I patted too hard, Jim. I patted too hard. There we go. He's a gentle soul, folks. All right. If we go over to the Netflix series that recently migrated to Disney Plus, the Daredevil, Jessica Jones, Luke Cage, and The Punisher. Are they already under the knife of change? Well, yeah, but remember on the last show we were talking about tone and and Mm -hmm. the difficulty. And when we lost Stan Lee, obviously a number of projects produced by Marvel Studios tried to go out of their way to pay tribute to Stan the Man. This included Punisher, and in fact, final episode of season two, which aired on Netflix on January 19th, 2019. 
ended with a lovely black card that read in loving memory of Stan Lee. But the problem was the scene that immediately preceded it. It had uh, Jonah Berthnall's Frank Castle character opening fire on a group of criminals who were gathered outside of a warehouse. Which, again, is true to the tone of the Punisher comic books. You can't right. fault it. Yeah. And this scene was probably shot long before anybody had any idea that we lost Stan and we should, we want to put a tribute card at the end of the show. Right. There was some sort of a disconnect. Here's our hero brutally murdering a bunch of people. Thanks, Stan, in your memory. Here's uh, uh, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, that don't that don't work very well. Clearly, there were other tributes that were done. For example, uh, Jessica Jones in the final episode of, I want to say, season four, which it aired five months later on, on, on June 14th of that same year. That tribute card, again, in loving memory of Stan Lee, is still in place. It's just the belief that, okay, Punisher meant well, but that's the wrong place, the wrong time. Did they just cut it or did they move it to a different location, like, say, maybe at the end of the series? So far, it seems to have been removed and not placed elsewhere. But okay. again, you know, this is a work in progress at Disney. And I, I'm getting this sense that what with everything that's going on with poor Mr. JPEG's problems, especially with what's going on with, with conservative media going after woke Disney and, and the reaction to Disney announcing that they're not going to Support people who supported the Don't Say Gay legislation in Florida and that they're not going to contribute to politicians anymore who, you know, help support that bill. I get the feeling that Disney is now overcompensating, trying to remove the low-hanging fruit from folks who are going to come after them. Take, for example, the news that came this week about Ms. Marvel. It's ended up with a TV PG rating. So what exactly is TVPG? Content may contain infrequent and or mild language, little sexual content and or references, mild violence, and or suggested themes, dialogue, or mild sexual content, partial nudity, which may be unsuitable for younger children without parental guidance. What makes me kind of crazy about this is Ms. Marvel is the first project that Marvel Studios has produced for Disney Plus to receive a PG rating. And mm -hmm. you and I just watched episode two of Moon Knight, yep. where people got pounded into mush. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't get a PG. I, does that seem a little odd to you? What the, what, wait, wait, were you saying that Moon Knight should get a PG rating somehow? I'm saying that Kamala Khan is a 16-year-old Pakistani-American girl from New Jersey. And yeah. What could she possibly do to warrant a TVPG rating? Well, you read off the list. I mean, contains mild language. You ever heard a kid swear? I have. I, 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 I was have. Just, okay, so boom, there's one. Mm -hmm. uh, little sexual content and or references. Mm -hmm. You ever heard a young kid talk about sex? Doesn't mean they're doing it. Just means they're asking about it or talking to their friends about it. Whisper, whisper. Mm -hmm. I, I remember those days. That's checkbox there. Suggestive themes. Nudge, mm -hmm. nudge, wink, wink. Check. Mm -hmm. uh, dialogue. Mild sexual content. Partial nudity. Again, which is, it's going, that's the step past talking about it is now they're kissy face, huggy mm -hmm. body type things. Mm -hmm. which may be suitable for younger children without parental guidance. So I don't think there's anything outlandish at all about giving her a PG rating. That's the lowest rung of the bar, isn't it? It is, but it's one of these things where it's like, when we were just talking about Falcon and the Winter Soldier, remember somebody almost got severed in half with Cap's shield. Yeah, what, what was the rating for that? I don't think it was a PG, you know. No, I, I, I mean, obviously it, sh it shouldn't have been. I mean, mm. I, I can't find any reason why PG is not the rating for Miss Marvel. Mm. Are you looking for something more R-rated? Uh, uh, no, uh, no, I'm just, I, I, uh, I, I'm just, I, I'm intrigued that. Or should it be G? It's all of these other projects did not get a TV PG no, they, sh they shouldn't have. They were much more violent. They should have gotten a TVR or a TV, you know, whatever the rating is that suggests over PG. 
remember, I don't think they actually got those. In fact, remember Disney, just as uh, the Netflix uh, Marvel television shows, the Daredevils, the Jessica Jones were coming. This is the first time we ever had a conversation about, oh, we probably need to be looking at parental controls. We probably well, need... Well, I mean, I don't think anybody in their right mind thought that Punisher was... At first off, it was done by Netflix. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're not talking about movies where you're doing under the hand of the Parental Association or Motion Picture Association of America, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're rating. Mm-hmm. It's uh, different because it's it's streaming on Netflix. They have a different set of rating guidelines just like television has a different set of rating guidelines right true okay so if netflix made a thing which is in netflix land which is under their own thing and you know disney and marvel are over on the left doing their own thing and i don't think any of them are really concerned yeah when they're creating it they want they have a target audience in mind so that's really the only way they're thinking about rating they go we need to tell a story to that uh 22 year old adult male and, and then they tell the story and then they go, oh, is this too violent? I mean, we wanted to go kind of horror here in Moon Knight. We have a couple horror scenes. Does that tip it into R all of a sudden for suggestive horror? <laughs> um, so, I mean, taking all things into consideration, uh, I don't know what the original ratings of Falcon and the Winter Soldier or WandaVision were or anything like that. But I think PG is the right rating for it. If they're just now getting around to being a little bit more puritanical about everything needs a rating and we need to, you know, put them in separate piles, cool. Get get your stuff sorted. But, uh, yeah, it's no biggie. While you were talking, I was doing some investigating. Both Falcon and the Winter Soldier and Moon Knight are TV-14. Okay. They are just a step above TV-PG. The, the right, language yeah, yeah. here is uh, parents strongly cautioned this program has contained some material that many parents may find unsuitable for children under 14. Do you think PG 14 is right? What, you know, what's Punisher at? We got to create like a, our spectrum of here's Miss Marvel in PG land over on the far, far right. And then over on the way far left, we got Punisher, right? Is that our scale? That would, that, I, I could buy into that. Uh, hang on. According to the Parents Guide for 2020, Punisher is rated 18 plus. There you um, go. Yeah. So includes uh, brutal, violent, sexual references, and drug use. So, and outside of Deadpool, which was you know created a, at the Fox days, uh, that would probably Punisher. I think would be the highest age rating required material that the MCU, if, if it's official canon, uh, mm-hmm. that Marvel is, has put out so far, even if it, if it, even if it wasn't Netflix, I'm trying not to draw a line in the sand every single time we have mm-hmm. to, you know, talk about what Marvel is and isn't, they were, no, they no, had no, their I, hand in it, so they knew what they were doing. No, I get that. I just, what's interesting is I feel like Disney's making sure that, that this is TV PG. I don't recall them walking the rating out. Uh, ahead of any of the other limited series. So you know, just... I think that's a good sign of of uh, them trying to explain to parents, this is made for your kids, guys. This mm. is the thing that you're actually looking for because I know mm. a lot of parents who wouldn't take their kids, their little, little ones, to go see Spider-Man mm. because they don't want their kids to learn about punching. I mean, mm. w- once they see uh, uh, anger and fists flying, they think that teaches them a, a bad thing, you know, mm. and they, they should try and discuss their feelings first and, and things like that. So they need their kids to not be two, three, or four years old because they're super impressionable. Mm-hmm. But they need to be old enough to where, you know, like maybe six or seven where mom and dad can sit down and go, you know, punching's bad, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. We're going to go see a guy who's a good guy and he's going to punch a lot. Are you okay? You, you understand that this this is not real. This is pretend, and nobody should punch ever, <laughs> right? You know, and you have that talk. You go in, you watch the movie, you have a good time. So, yeah, I think that maybe Marvel is trying to send a message that uh, this is for your kids. This is safe. Go ahead and put it on, and feel free to leave the room. We're not going to dis- destroy their 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 mind while you're gone. Okay. All right. I, I, I have to say, I feel better about this, uh, uh, us having had this conversation, because Tissy is actually pushing the family issue in regard to Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind, which, by the way, we now have an official opening date on, uh, May 27th. 
But what's interesting is the ads themselves for this attraction describe it as a family thrill coaster. Now, I'm familiar with what a junior coaster is. That's like Gadget's Go Coaster at Disneyland Park in California. I'm familiar with a with a what a family coaster is. That's the Barnstormer featuring the great Goofini at Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom in Florida. And I know what a thrill ride is. You know, uh, any Space Mountain indoor, you know, roller coaster around the, the planet. But a family thrill coaster seems to be a new animal, particularly in uh, themed entertainment circles. And has an interesting height restriction. It's, uh, you have to be three feet, six inches tall to ride this thing. Man, that's so specific. You would think that they would let people of taller statures ride the ride, but to have to be, boy, I mean, I would have to go have a kid and plan their age and then make sure that their growth spurt hit right at that right age to be, am I wrong about this? I think I'm wrong about this. I'm going to shut up. I touch wrong. Okay. (laughs) Um, but to put this all in perspective, uh, Soarin' Around the World, Test Track, and Mission uh, Space, uh, three other popular Epcot attractions, immediate vicinity of Cosmic Rewind, they have height restrictions of three foot, four inches. So, you know, you got to be two inches taller to, to do this family throw coaster. Uh, on the other hand, you have to be four feet, at least four feet tall to ride Rock and Roller Coaster at Disney Hollywood Studios, and three foot eight to uh, eight inches tall to ride Space Mountain. So Cosmic Dreamland isn't as restrictive as those thrill thrill rides, but again, that's because it's a family thrill coaster in addition to being a storytelling coaster. So, hey, Jim, let me ask you a quick question for legit mm-hmm. reasons. Uh, yep. The way that you are fastened into your seat in each of those coasters, are they similar or different? Hmm. I would think if you were an itty bitty person, right, and you're doing mm-hmm. like a junior coaster, that usually a lap bar might be enough because they're not doing high G forces that are going to fling you out of the ride, mm-hmm. and, and it's a more genteel ride. But see, the thing is, like the the faster it goes, the more ups and downs, lefty righty, the more they might put a harness over you in, in a different way. And I'm thinking, if it's a qualification of Obviously, junior coaster is your your smaller person and uh, more genteel, and and then the family means well we got to be at least big enough for mom and dad to fit into, but not necessarily any less genteel in the ride experience. But now you're getting into the, the th- family thrill ride, and you've read the description where the cars will slow down enough that a video wall could play a clip, and the cars will swing in that direction. And then change, you know, the, which way they're facing as the coaster continues. Well, family would imply that you've got to be able to hold someone who is both big and small. And I think that that language is talking about the way that you harness somebody into the ride. Mm-hmm. And then thrill is how fast you fling them people about. Is that, does that seem to fit your definitions of everything that you've been reading? It does, but they're being somewhat cagey about revealing what the restraint system is. It looks to be an over-the-head system, but I can't say definitively. Um, all right, we, we have do have, thanks to Imagineer Zach Ridley, uh, some additional information about the wonders of Xandar Pavilion. This is where our story gets started. They're anticipating clearly that people are going to be in line to this thing quite a while, because the very first scene of the attraction, the queue space that this one room that will be housed in the old Universe of Energy show building, they're preparing over a half hour's worth of show in the Galaxarium, which is sort of a play on the planetarium. There'll be a film that plays directly overhead for members of the guests who are making their way through the queue. It's kind of an interesting mix of real science. They will explain how actual galaxies and solar systems are formed. In addition to explaining how the people of Xandar came to our planet and opted to set an, up an outpost at what they refer to as Earth's Epcot. This is just the first room where you're going to kill time, you know, beyond this giant space with its over half hour long show. There will also be the Xandar Gallery. Before we jump off of the 30 minute room, I'm fascinated by the sound of a little planetarium in the queue. And Mm -hmm. can you dive out of the queue and just kind of chill in that room and let people go by you as you watch the experience if you're that enthralled and then jump back in when you're done? 
Or is, is that just meant to be one of those things where you're meant to go through a hundred times riding the ride and you're supposed to catch snippets of it and there we go. get the whole full experience through a hundred visits? Okay. This is supposed to be a, a re-ride ability thing. I would like to sit down and just watch that. That sounds just wonderfully neat and, and uh, an interactive experience that I would enjoy beyond the ride. Speaking of wonderfully neat, ads for the Sundo Epcot attraction have begun airing nationally this week, and they all sort of follow the same theme. There was a commercial for Abbott Elementary, the sitcom at ABC, where you get about five seconds of the normal commercial where then the signal is overridden, seemingly uh, from a message that's coming from deep space. And this is the message you get, this is an SOS from Novacore. Everything is disappearing. Our outpost on Earth's Epcot is in danger. Help the galaxy before it's too late. And then there's this wonderful moment. You cut to the cockpit of the Benatar. And friend of the show, Jim Shull, legendary Imagineer, pointed out that they've got the CG uh, Groot, they've got the CG Rocket, and they've got an actor playing Star-Lord. But they clearly didn't want to pay Chris Pratt to appear in this ad. So it's somebody dressed as Star-Lord who's asleep in a chair in the cockpit and never opens up his mask. He's asleep the whole time. The ad is genuinely funny. I mean, it, when you we first see Rocket, he has somehow mangled Star-Lord's gift from his mom, that cassette. And it's like, Quill, this thing is so broken. And then Groot does what Groot does. He, he says, I am Groot. And, but he, it, you know, he's gesturing toward a monitor and turning it on to the effect of, hey, there's a message coming in. And then we get this frantic message from the wonders of Xandar Pavilion at Epcot. This is an SOS from Novacore. Everything is disappearing. Our outpost on Earth, Sepcot, is in danger. Help the galaxy before it's too late. And then there's this amazing effect where the female technician who's doing this ad essentially gets pulled backwards and disappears out of time. That's the message you're supposed to get is that time and space are rewinding. So the, the mm. cosmic rewind. There's this lovely moment in the ad where where Rocket turns basically to the the folks of it, and we're all sitting at home on the couch, and it's like, well, you heard the lady, get to Epcot, it's save the galaxy time again. I think the very best part of that script is the idea of calling it Earth's Epcot. They mm -hmm. really could have called it, you know, Disney's Epcot or Epcot mm -hmm. near Disney World and did the whole corporate, we got to oh, get yeah. our name in there seven times because that's yeah. how we do branding, make sure they know where they're at. And it's like, mm -hmm. obviously, guys, we're in the freaking park. There we, we you know, we need to go beyond. And Earth's Epcot, you know what that implies? There's only one. There's uh -huh. just the one on the whole okay. planet. If you can search high and low across the entire globe, there is only one Epcot on planet Earth, and you are here now. I think that is actually the most genius thing out of that whole script. They did it's, something magical there. It, it, seriously, I, when you get a chance, go check out this ad, because the, the button, the beautiful button for this thing is, as it's ending, they kick into the, the, the musical sting from the Ohio Players Love Roller Coaster. So, I mean, yep. it ends on a great piece of music, great visuals, really funny. But again, as you said, it's all on message. I mean, it's one of these ads, Disney used to do these, the, the sorts of ads you'd look at it and it's like, I'm buying a plane ticket, I'm booking a hotel room. That's something I have to check out now. But also, people have waited a long, long time for this ride. The attraction that was previously housed in the old Universe of Energy Pavilion, Ellen's Energy Adventure, Closed on August 13th, 2017. That was more than three months after Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 opened in theaters on May 5th of that same year. So it's been four years and nine months since this attraction, the Allen's Energy Adventure closed, till we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind. So I guess it would be nice if the Imagineers could use some of that time goes backwards technology to maybe shave a few years off of the delivery date of this thing. Wait a minute. If they go backwards in time, doesn't that mean that you get further away from the date? You need a time go forward machine to get closer to having this be done. Uh, where I'm sorry Mr. to poke holes in your time theory. Uh, where are Mr. Peabody and Sherman <laughs> when we need them? Okay. But speaking of, of wanting time back, when Aaron and I get back from this break, we're going to talk about Morbius. 
as I mentioned at the top of today's show, Aaron and I have just both watched episode two of Moon Knight. So what's your take on this? A good follow-up to our initial episode? Do you fill any holes for you? or Yeah, no, I think it, it all moved in the right directions. I would, uh, you know, so at the end of episode one, you get mm-hmm. Moon Knight walking right into the camera and you're like, finally, mm-hmm. we're going to get some Moon Knight. And episode two starts and no Moon Knight. Damn it. What happened? Where'd he go? <laughs> so, and then they go back and they replay the scene of what happened. And obviously there's going to be nothing on the cameras, but our hero looking like a lunatic for mm-hmm. being, you know, running away from nothing. Mm-hmm. And uh, so now you got to do the whole, is it in his head game or, or what for, you know, just a little mm-hmm. while. Oh, before we get too far into um, episode two of Moon Knight, there's a couple things I wanted to cover uh, still from episode one that we did not cover last week. So real quick, there's the QR codes that we'll need to discuss. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, yes, please. Yeah. In episode one, when Moon Knight is taking the young girl to show her a, a mummy, there is a QR code on the wall, and I never thought anything about it. I see him. I ignore him. Mm-hmm. And then someone online goes, hey, if you point your camera at the QR code, you know what? It acts like a QR code and does something pretty cool. <laughs> and it takes you to an issue, a digital copy of uh, Werewolf by Night. And I think mm-hmm. it's like issue 32 or 33 or, or whatever. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And then um, here in episode two, we get another QR code. And I'm trying to remember it was like in a, a locker area. Mm-hmm. And uh, that will take you to the next issue. If you scan that QR code, that will take you to the next issue in that digital comic book series, which is uh, Moon Knight versus Werewolf by Night. And since we've got that coming up later in the year, Werewolf by Night, that special, that's a great way to introduce people to, A, the old version of Moon Knight when he was in print form, because Marvel is a publishing company of, of comics, Makes sense to actually tie a comic into. Hey, look at look at guys. You, I know you like our shows, but hey, look, print. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I think that's smart that they're doing that, and it's also a good way to introduce. If you're enjoying Moon Knight, it's a good way to introduce a new thing that Marvel's got up their sleeve for later on in the year. So bravo to the QR codes. What do you think about that, Jim? I have to admit, I'm intrigued myself. I'll have to see if I can chase those down and get access to. That material, because I'm a paper guy, and I, I, you know, I love looking at the original drawings of the characters, or the, you know, how they were introduced, that sort of thing. I want to say that Marvel did something cool. It's not in these two Moon Knight comics per se. However, uh, I was also print. You know, I had to have the comic in my hand, and mm-hmm. some of the issues when they started going digital, they would separate the layers of the comic book. So. For example, when you turn the page, you would see only the artwork. Mm-hmm. And then when you clicked on a panel and it zoomed into that panel, only then would like the word bubbles show up. Oh. So you got to see more of the actual artwork from the artists in those instances. That's cool. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, um, there are some benefits to the digital medium that you can't get on paper. And so mm-hmm. I, I know there are a lot of people that love to hold the comic in their hand like you and I do. Mm-hmm. But you got to go ahead and, and look at some of the things that Marvel has done with their digital uh, realm. And it's usually mm-hmm. newer comics. You know, some of the older ones, they just want to scan them and make them available so they don't sure. have the layers. But newer things that are being created every once in a while, I don't know if they're still doing it, to be honest, with their, their current run. But mm-hmm. back in the olden days when they were starting out, they're trying to go, look, this is different from print. We're We're trying to make it special. So... Yeah, check it check it out. There might be some of that in their in their current library. Again, I like it's not in the two Moon Knight comics that mm-hmm. you're gonna be taken to. It's a, a different ball of wax there. Got it. Um also before we push on to talk about episode two, you did have there's a controversy out there about uh episode one, particularly the Well, actually there's two of them, believe okay. it or not. The first one is real quick. Mm-hmm. I struck a nerve with James Cameron. Mm-hmm. I I think I really upset him about the whole Avatar what? sequel why thing because in episode one they do mention avatar like blue people and then the character goes oh yeah i love that movie with avatar and the the blue people and i was just like so uh obviously james cameron's a listener i want to apologize right now if i've offended you james it was just a joke i know you're gonna make a trillion 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 dollars it's okay 
cry in the money. It'll feel better when it's over. So uh, <laughs> we'll skip past that. The next thing we're going to do, Jim, is a fun little game show uh, that we're going to call, mm-hmm. and, and this is where I wish I had a studio audience with me so they could shout, is that Latveria? All righty, Jim. We're showing off some lovely images of the Swiss Alps, along with a large castle overlooking a quaint village. Jim Hill, is this Latveria? <sighs> Episode one. Do you remember when he when he woke like, up yes, in the field yes. and he and he sees a castle and he looks up and he waves and people start shooting at him and he runs into the quaint village. Beautiful Alps background. Jim Hill, is this? Possibly, could it be Latveria? Because, uh, man, didn't we, with the multiverse of madness, all of the, these folks who were like looking at the Zapruder film, you know, and they were looking at that, that room that supposedly Dr. X was in and Mr. Fantastic was in, but didn't they also supposedly see Dr. Doom? I did. That was why I had to close the browser and walk away mm-hmm. because I did not want to get my hopes up on that. But I was like, is that, is that shadow with the cloak and the hood? Could it be? And yeah, then I closed the computer, walk away. No hopes. Please don't, don't make me think of a, a thing and let me be let down. I need to go in blank. By, by the way, I, not, not to further compound your, your issues with James Cameron, you have heard that the trailer for Avatar 2 will most likely be in front of Multiverse of Madness. I'm sorry, Avatar what? <laughs> Never mind. James, I'm sorry. It's a joke. The whole point is every time I do it, the funnier it gets. Yes? Yes. Crickets? Why the hell are crickets all of a sudden playing? Damn it. I- Okay. All right, we'll get back to the review of the episode two here. Um, put on the suit, Jim. Oh, mm-hmm. I love that gag. I thought mm-hmm. that was funny mm-hmm. that uh, the whole time you're expecting the superhero suit with the cape and the hood. Mm-hmm. But our guy doesn't know what you're talking about when they're saying put on the suit. So when he falls down and he changes costume, it's a he's a sharp-dressed man. I thought he should have ZZ he Top was. playing in the background when, when that happened, right? Yeah. I, I agree, but... Also, we were talking about on uh, episode one, that wonderful scene in the restroom where the beast is trying to break down the door and mm-hmm. Stephen is, is talking with Mark in the mirror. Oh, yeah. And I never anticipated as we headed into episode two, this would be a dialogue between- Two different characters. Oscar- yeah. Yeah. And I, I was really kind of a fascinating element and a real tribute to Oscar Isaac, you know, to the effect of you knew exactly who you were looking at at any one time, and a real tension, two very distinct characters. Yeah. Um, really, really clever. He had mentioned in an interview something, I believe, briefly about doing the voice, the accent. Mm-hmm. A- and at the time, Marvel's kind of like, well, what are you doing now with that? Mm-hmm. That's a little weird. Yep. But you got to separate those characters. And, mm-hmm. and then when you get to the point where our protagonist goes, goes into the uh, isolation, I guess, into the reflection, mm-hmm. and the other character comes out of the reflection and, and is now in control, mm-hmm. you know exactly who, who is where. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Personality-wise. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the brilliance of, of Oscar Isaac. Moving past that, mm-hmm. uh, Ethan Hawke now needs a moment to shine. He's scary because he's calm and he doesn't seem like he thinks he's the bad guy, right? He thinks he's mm-hmm. on the right side, but I think he's also scamming because mm-hmm. he's doing. He did a thing where he was talking to a gentleman in a dark alley or whatever, and then mm-hmm. ended up draining his life soul, not because his life was out of balance, simply because he wanted the soul of that man to feed on it. I think. Isn't that the vibe you get? I no no I, you're not wrong, but again, I I think it is such an interesting performance of a villain. I mean, I get you know, <laughs> how many villains are? Oh, try the little soup. I made it this morning myself. Yes, yeah, so we're but we're all vegan, you know. And yeah. oh, it was so calm and nuanced. And let me bring you over to my side, the dark side of the force. You know, it'd be like if if the emperor would be like, Luke, sit down, try the gazpacho. It's yeah. delicious. It was made mm. by Hector over there. And uh, have I told you about the dark side of the forest? We're doing some tremendous things over here. Let me tell you, if I had my way, 
uh, crime would not exist because I would just murder everybody who was going to think about doing wrong. And boy, let me tell you, you'll get a peaceful sleep at night with that. What do you say? Come on over, huh? I think one of the things I so enjoy about this is even the people who are supposedly the good guys, like Kanshu. Oh my God, that that last scene yeah. with Kanshu, were you know, made no bones about the fact that. Mark, you're not holding up your end, and do I have to move to, you know, my other candidate, which the whole point of, you know, what he's trying to do is protect Layla, because she is Concho's next intended target. Which actually only reinforces everything that Ethan Hawke's character said. I mean, mm -hmm. he's actually been truthful and honest about what is going on. Mm-hmm. With, I was the first, and he's saying how he's a justice, you know, the swift fist of justice or whatever, and then, mm -hmm. like, everything kind of reinforces Ethan Hawke as not the bad guy, yeah. just the guy who used to be the good guy who changed his mind about what good is. Mm -hmm. That, I think, is when you get into more dangerous ground is bad guys are never, ever twirling the mustache going, woo-hoo-ha-ha-ha-ha, I am the bad guy of this piece. Mm -hmm. They believe they're the good guy every single time, if they're written correctly. Mm -hmm. I mean, Black Panther is a great example of, of that. That was a bad guy who thought he was doing the right thing. And you know what? A lot of people in the audience were on his side. That's a good bad guy. That's a good, good bad guy. I do, and again, I don't necessarily want to put this out there as a spoiler, but a number of folks in the entertainment media who were given all four episodes of Moon Knight, of the six to review. But here's the thing, that there's a number of them who've gone out of their way to say, look, very enjoyable, but you have to be ready for what happens in the middle of uh, episode four, that there's a big turn coming. Oh. And it's sort of like, what's the big turn? Because I mean, we've is... been handed turns left and right since I... we started. This is what I'm saying. It's like, there's a big turn coming. <laughs> you know, it's like, what's going to happen? We find out that Mark Spector is the alter ego of a different character altogether. Or, mm -hmm. I mean, how, how many other characters do we have to, or personalities can we introduce? Do you think we I... need any other ones? I don't know. I mean, as of right now, I mean, the fact the reveal at the tail end of episode two, that we're now in Egypt with the scarab and, and looking for Ahmet's tomb, where we're headed. But it's just sort of like, where does this go from here? I mean, I just, again, I, there's a part of me that really wants to seek out the Moon Knight comics to see if there's any sort of reveal. But at the same time, I'm so enjoying this. I, I want this to unfold as the filmmakers and Mark Isaacs intended, because again, this is this is a wonderful performance. And again, you're right about Ethan Hawke. That's a killer villain. But but I also I love those moments where, you know, everyone's sort of casually, you know, the, everyone else in the cult is just sort of like, yeah, we're doing our thing. And then they move on mass. Yeah. You know, the, and it's like that that's creepy. That is genuinely creepy. It's like so. a, a murder pop-up. Uh, what was it when they did the, the pop-up performances or whatever? Oh, Except with a, 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 a murder flash mob. Yeah, murder flash mob. <laughs> there you go. That's what it was. It's worth noting, Moon Knight, first episode, viewers-wise, tied with uh, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, ahead of Hawkeye, oddly enough. Not the most watched of the limited series. That would be Loki. But got off to a strong debut. Definitely there in the pack. So we've talked about the pleasures of watching Moon Knight, and now we have to talk about Morbius, which is complicated. You have to remember with Morbius, that movie was shot back in February of 2019, and it was supposed to arrive in theaters July 31st, 2020. That means that Spider-Man No Way Home didn't even start shooting Aaron till October of 2020. So this film was never supposed to be something that keyed off of what happened in uh, No Way Home. So I went to the theater. Uh, in fact, I, I got to the theater late, ran straight into the auditorium, and right in the middle of the new Multiverse of Madness trailer, which has some really interesting chunks of dialogue. There's an exchange between Stephen Strange and, and Wanda to the effect of, we could use an Avenger, and Wanda's like, there are other Avengers, and Steven tries to sell her on getting involved. It, it would put you back on the lunchbox. That's a good line. That's a great line. But the crucial line 
in this thing, and in fact, they've begun using it in the television ads for Multiverse of Madness as well, is Wanda talking to Strange to the effect of, you break the rules, you become a hero. I do it, I become the enemy. I know we've talked previously about Elizabeth Olsen signing that much longer contract with Marvel Studios, but I think we're going to be in an interesting place with this character as Multiverse closes, but... By the way, you were uh, mentioning, I've got some info here from uh, Sam Raimi. He's been out there talking quite a bit about the film, but but you have a couple of stories to share, right? Yeah, he's been doing the press. And uh, Mm -hmm. recently with Fandango, Mm -hmm. Sam said that he would love to direct Spider-Man 4. Everyone's asking him about it. Mm -hmm. He realized after filming Doctor Strange that, Anything is possible, really, in the Marvel Universe with team-ups, and he loves Toby and Kristen Dunst, and all things are possible, but also added, Marvel's got a, a full slate. I don't know what their interest would be in that. Uh, you know, no one's talked about it with me, so mm-hmm. I'll just say, if they did it, of course I would be happy to do it. Okay. I, I think that's kind of stating the obvious. And then Elizabeth Olsen, she likes to throw a, a monkey wrench into the works because... Uh, <laughs> Well, she's a witch, I guess, so uh, she's got to cause some chaos. She told a reporter to ask Sam how familiar he was with the quote-unquote new Marvel, which is basically everything from Iron Man forward, our current Mm -hmm. MCU as we know it. And Mm -hmm. Sam had admitted to have only seen four of the films before he was brought on for Multiverse. However, he liked all four films. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, there were over 20 films at the time. I couldn't see them all. Mm -hmm. Uh, But he liked what they were doing, and he's always been a Marvel fan, even with the comic books as a kid. And so when he did see the four movies that he saw, and I think Doctor Strange was one on the list that he Mm -hmm. had to go see in person in the theater, Mm -hmm. uh, he enjoyed it very, very much. And he thought that Marvel is doing a great job with their comic book property, and he's just happy to be attached with it. So, uh, yeah, he sounds like Sam's ready to do the old corporate game of, "Uh, if you need me to do another movie, I'll be over here in the corner. While we were pre-gaming, you brought up another issue that uh, has kind of come up out ahead of Multiverse of Madness. And for the Sam Raimi's of the world, who haven't necessarily seen all 23 23 uh mcu films and all of the limited series and that sort of thing so what's necessary for somebody who's going in if not cold you know not completely familiar with everything that's gone on in the mcu what do you need to rewatch before you see this movie well, I don't think that was the question they were asking specifically today because they just want, I think it was a lot of fans of WandaVision who just wanted to reiterate their love for WandaVision, which is totally mm-hmm. acceptable. Uh, okay. But they were saying, do we have to watch WandaVision before Multiverse of Madness? I say yes. And everyone mm-hmm. says yes. And everybody was cheering on, Multiver- on, on uh, WandaVision as being the thing that you have to watch before uh, Doctor Strange. I get it because she's in the movie. Sure, that's the easy choice. But guys... What about Professor Xavier being dropped in the trailer? You mean you're not going to watch any of those X-Men film (laughs) to see, like, I mean, WandaVision is one series of how many, six episodes, eight episodes was it at the time? Nine, I think. Oh, was it nine? Oh, back in the good old days when they gave us nine, now we only get six, yada, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, get off my lawn. Anyway, uh, (laughs) but back in the old days, uh, how many Fox uh, films uh, or how many X-Men films had Fox given us that Mm -hmm. we have to now go back through looking for, just in case they drop an X-Men Easter egg? Yeah, I say if we get Professor Xavier in the trailer, Mm-hmm. I'm going with, I need to do an X-Men rewatch only because mm-hmm. uh, WandaVision is more fresh in my mind. I don't need a, a primer on that because I just had it recently. Mm-hmm. However, it's been a long time since I've traveled down X-Men road. Got it. Got it. Speaking of which, though, if we are talking about Sam Raimi, and again, I get same thing. They, By the way, I do, I do want to say, Jim, this is the best discussion about Morbius I think we could have ever had. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get back there in a moment. Okay. Um, But Sam Raimi has also talked about the fact that some time has passed since No Way Home. And in fact, it's a couple of months since the events of that Spider-Man film. And and more to the point, he wanted to stress that that film had characters from the multiverse entering our world. 
Whereas the interesting bend on what they're doing in Multiverse of Madness is it's Doctor Strange and Associates entering the multiverse from our world. Right. Um, which, you know, again, kind of a interesting funhouse mirror take on the thing. Uh, the other thing worth noting, uh, especially with the ever-increasing size of Marvel films, did you see the runtime for this thing? Is it the new longest Marvel movie in history? No, actually, it goes in the other direction. What? It's two hours and six minutes long. A, a, a relatively breezy two hours and six minutes. So, <laughs> Absolutely, uh, right? Yeah. Yeah. So Interesting. I, 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 I'm, I'm kind of thrilled on behalf of my tiny bladder. Now, to, to finally get to Morbius. Look, after the absolutely scathing, brutal reviews, I went into the theater with a relatively low hopes. And, and I have to say that Morbius is not terrible. It's professionally made. It has entertaining performances by Jared Leto, Matt Smith. I mean, who doesn't love the, the former Doctor Who? First off, you said professionally made, and I've heard you use professionally made twice before. So right now, uh, that 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 phrase right there does not mean a, a greatest of times. But go ahead. Well, and now I want to say I know I I um I may have said that about both of Sony's Venom films, but I, I have to say this is. Arguably, a far more entertaining, coherent film than either oh, of the Venom. That's not hard to do. Oh, I have lunch and a person me. over the head with a brick and go. I'm more, I'm more coherent than that. There. <laughs> <laughs> trust me. You sit down and watch Venom. Let there be carnage, and then we'll talk about you're going to cinematic no, no, coherence. I, I believe you that Morbius is much more coherent than Venom. I'm mm. just saying that is a low bar that doesn't require a jump to get over it. It require. I mean, you could be shuffling your feet on the floor and still uh, hurdle that bar. Go ahead. Okay. I, it's got decent uh, effects work. That, that There's a, a wonderful echolocation effect that they do in this thing. Likewise, fight scenes where the, they do kind of a smeary thing are very interesting, well-staged. But I, I have to tell you that it, I'm coming to the end of the film and it's like, that's really, that's okay. You know, I came in here with lowered expectations. The film met them and it's like, okay. And then come our mid-credit and post-credit scenes, which are honestly the most cynical thing I have seen in a Hollywood film in years. So, all right. Now, anybody who saw the early trailer for Morbius knows that Michael Keaton's Adrian Toomes character, the vulture from Spider-Man Homecoming, was going to be featured in this film. I believe in the trailer they showed Michael Keaton in a prison setting talking with Jared Leto's character. That's nowhere to be seen in this film. What we get instead is we first get a, a shot of what the three Spider-Men saw over the New York skyline. We see that effect where the, the sky is cracking open and is, the multiverse is spilling into our world. Right. Uh, we then cut to a, a prison cell where... Tombs appears like he's in Bewitched. I mean, just sort of poof, he's in the room. And he's in, well, again, here's the question. Is he in our world? Because wouldn't he have been in Toby, or excuse me, Tom Holland's Spider-Verse? So he's entered a new realm. So this is where it gets interesting. Is he in Toby's Spider-Verse or, or Andrew Garfield's Spider-Verse? Kind of depends, I guess, on whether or not Sam Raimi wants to make Spider-Man 4. No, I, I think, well, no, he can't be in Toby's because okay. uh, here, here's the logic. And, and okay. I think this is actually solid logic. Okay. Toby already fought Venom. We okay. already had a version oh, of that character. Okay. You know, even the the whole uh, Eddie Brock, you know, character, mm -hmm. not just beyond Venom there. Okay. So you've got that to say, mm -hmm. nope, can't be the same. Uh, okay. The reason it can't be also is because Morbius, does he mention that he, Venom in this movie? Like there was the scene in the trailer, he scares the, the, the guy about, oh, I'm Venom. Or no, I'm just kidding. I'm just Dr. Morbius. They do include the scene from the first trailer where the FBI officer says, doesn't this remind you of that thing that happened in San Francisco? Right. But that's it. That's okay. literally oh. all you get, get. The only nod to Venom. Mm. So, okay. Okay. So it, the, if they were to have kept that, mm. that would definitively mean that 
Morbius and Venom are in a shared universe. Mm -hmm. Now, the problem even with the Andrew Garfield thing is in Venom's cameo in Spider-Man No Way Home, Mm -hmm. he didn't know about this spider guy. He thought maybe he should take a trip. You know, he was just finding out that the world was populated with superheroes. Everybody Mm -hmm. had a super ability and maybe he should go find the spider guy and have a chat with him. Mm-hmm. And so that would lead me to believe that there is no Andrew Garfield in that universe either because mm. Morbius and Venom share the same place and Venom doesn't know about, I mean, that would make news. If there's a Spider-Man, it would make more than local New York news. It would be nationwide, okay. right? Interesting point. So n- none of those threads quite work on the narrative form. I've got other problems with with the fact that which direction does the multiverse work in now that, you know, Doctor Strange was saying... I'm sending people home from universes they don't belong in back home. Mm -hmm. And so we send our villains, the Green Goblin, Doc Ock, all back to their respective places. So now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden the multiverse, the universe itself goes, I think I got everybody here. I'm just going to add this tombs guy as well because "Eh, stupid old universe can't keep track of all of everything. So he accidentally gets teleported back for some strange reason. This is... The interesting bend on on what you're saying, that we see him appear in this prison cell, and he has a a lovely joke to the effect, well, I hope the the, the food's better at at this place. But then we get a a news report to the effect of, you know, Adrian Toomes, you know, appears in a locked prison cell. Uh, There's no record of this man ever having committed a crime in this world, and so he is freed. And that's literally, you know, everything you get in the mid credit scene. Okay, so a couple of paradoxes that throws in. Mm-hmm. Is there a different Adrian Toomes who was just walking about? Because the, the reporter has to be able to look up a public file. Who's this guy? Mm-hmm. If he didn't exist in that universe beforehand, mm-hmm. they wouldn't know who he was. He'd just be a mystery guy, a, a John Doe. Mm-hmm. But they can identify him either through fingerprints or, or photography or whatever. They can say... That's Adrian Toomes. So that implies there's already an Adrian Toomes there. Has he been plucked out and swapped? Has he been nulled out of existence? Where's he at? You are putting so much more thought into this than this, the screenwriter of the, that's, this that's part of I'm the film. With this. Yeah, yeah, totally. Okay. It, it all falls. You can see the cash grab, like the hand come out and grabbing the dollar bills and then oh. a, a little snicker like Amy Pascal snickering under the stage. <laughs> I got you, suckers. Anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. There's Because I've got other stuff to tear into the other scene. Okay. We have Michael Morbius in a sports car. And he's racing to a set of coordinates that we see on his dashboard. And he needs, you know, it's 221 in the morning. And he stops the car in the middle of the desert. And then out of the sky appears the vulture. Uh, it's the full vulture suit. Might be a little different from the one we saw in, uh, you know, Homecoming. It's been a while since I've seen it. But to give you some idea of, of the cheat here, the vulture appears in front of Michael Morbius after he parks his car. And he, the, the vulture never takes off his mask. So this was never a scene that Mike, again, again, we're back into Chris Pratt asleep. You know, right. or, so they didn't have to pay. Michael Keaton to come back to shoot this scene, but the audio, Aaron, I'm sure you're going to tell me eventually to listen to this thing. I don't even think he came to the studio. I think he just called this in. Yeah, because recorded on an iPhone and and just sent him a file. Yeah, yeah. So it's just uh, he. You know, the vulture says to the effect, "I think Spider-Man is responsible for this, so I'm putting together a team." And Morbius says, "I'm intrigued," and the movie ends. And it's one of these things where it's like, what? <laughs> This is literally so far out of left field. I mean, it's not even in the ballpark. You're out in the right. parking lot at the ballpark at this point. So uh, Michael Keaton, he he only just shows up when he when he appears in a jail cell. Yes, he, he has no information about how or why he got there, but he's able to put it on on a Spider Man. Yes. How, how did he meet Michael Morbius? How did they get into contact with one another to to have this chit chat out in the desert? Again, you're putting more effort Wait in. Wait a minute. Hold on. I got a better one. I got a better one, Jim. This is going to blow your mind. All right. Okay. So I was asking about a, an Adrian Toomes in this scenario that existed before he got there, right? Mm-hmm. So he's wearing a vulture costume. Obviously, that wasn't teleported with him in jail. Otherwise, I think the police would have said, hey, maybe we should take the high-tech death murder suit and not let you walk out with it. 
Mr. Mr. X that we just uh, appeared in a jail cell. Um, mm-hmm. So he's he's got his vulture suit. If we were to scan the, the gray matter that's still functioning about how did the vulture come to be, he was salvaging tech after the Battle of New York back in the day. So he was. He was. That would mean there would have had to have been a Battle of New York in Morbius world in order for there to be the tech to create a different timeline Adrian Toomes vulture suit. Mm-mm. Oh my God, it hurts, Jim. It hurts. <sighs> I want a pan-galactic goggle blaster. Just wrap a brick around a, le- a wedge of lemon and start smacking me over the head with it. Because it just sounds painful, and it sounds stupid. And, you know, a lot of people say I give Sony a hard time, and why am I down on Sony? It's exactly this. I think that mm-hmm. they think about a dollar sign before they even think about anything that makes any remote logical sense mm-hmm. in a structural narrative, That that it's just about... Let's just publish it. And because Marvel is doing so good, like the MCU is untarnished. These Mm -hmm. are the Roger Corman studio tactics of, hey, there's a Star Wars out. I I got it. I will call it uh, Battle Amongst the Stars. Uh, Give me some tinfoil and wrap up in it and you're the robot. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's that freaking bad. And uh, mm. I also think that not the general public does not know to differentiate a Sony Marvel product from a, a Marvel Marvel product. Mm. Um, I got a couple of friends who like they just ran into um, Captain Marvel. I think was was the thing that they just discovered mm-hmm. uh, while flipping through the Netflix, and they go, "Oh, I, uh, it turns out this is one of the Marvel movies." I'm like, "No kidding! It's called Captain Marvel, and you're surprised to find out it's a Marvel <laughs> movie." Okay, where do we go from here? Oh, it's this charming young girl. Apparently, she's in some other films that that have to do with this whole Marvel place. Like, like they don't know MCU is a language. It's the Marvel place, like the Good Place with Ted Danson. It's mm-hmm. the Marvel place with that that pretty blonde girl. And uh, and then it just expands from there. And then they see Doctor Strange and they're like, hey, 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 guys, this Doctor Strange character, he knows that Miss Marvel girl. They've worked together on a thing. And there's a spider guy. I don't know where he came in, but apparently there's a kid. He's a spider. It's amazing. And uh, they're just piecing this together in random order. And it's baffling to them how all these dots are being connected because they don't care like we do. It's just random entertainment that they stumble across, and then and then they go, "Oh, I remember a movie that seemed like that." Is that part of that thing? It's weird. It is weird. Um, okay, and now we have to talk about poor Daniel Espinosa, who remember you know shot this movie in February of two thousand nineteen, and then did reshoots in February of the following year, two thousand twenty, months worth of reshoots, and then supposedly. There was yet another series of reshoots that were done in February of last year. All right. So, and you also have to understand that he is an employee of Sony. You know, he was hired to work on this film. And just over time, you know, especially after what happened with Spider-Man No Way Home, the mountain of money that it made, the whole notion of, okay, we have our spump plan, and there was a plan for how Dr. Morbius, uh, the Morbius movie was going to play out if it had opened before No Way Home, and now it opens after. Uh, and, you know, we have to, at some point, get our Sinister Six project moving forward. So this is what you do. And and so Daniel was out doing interviews just this past week or so, uh, and trying to talk around that, trying to talk around the fact that this is a $75 million movie made by a giant corporation that is working a franchise and what they wanted to do with the franchise changed between the time we shot the first movie and did the first set of reshoots and the second set of reshoots. And what was interesting is he actually get talked about, for example, What happened? There was that scene in the trailer where there was that graffiti that was clearly of Spider-Man, and he was like, I didn't shoot that scene. That was never in the movie I shot. That was something that was put together for the trailer. I think just at this point, Mr. Espinosa, who is looking at the box office for uh, uh, Morbius, it made $39.1 million. 
It's the lowest grossing MCU film since The New Mutants. You can't reward poor behavior. I get that. And there, I mean, like, I would be asking Amy Pascal right now. Yeah. You were so eager to make a Sinister Six. Mm -hmm. You had the Vulture meet up with the Scorpion, who's not yet been in costume. But he had the tattoo, and his his name is the same. So we know that the character exists in the first Spider-Man movie. And you had the two of them bump into one another in jail, so you've got two villains right there in, in our current Tom Holland Spider-Man universe. Hmm. Uh, we had a shocker that we could have used, so we're up to three right there. Mm -hmm. We had a Mysterio in our sequel, so there's four. We then import a bunch of characters for Spider-Man No Way Home from a different universe, bring them in, and we get to a Sinister Five. <laughs> then we decide to send them all back home and not use any of them. And then you teleport the Vulture to Morbius land, and now we're at the Sinister Two. What the hell are you thinking? How are you going to get to six? Why can't you come up with a plan that makes any sense? And why does it seem like this movie that's been sitting on a shelf for two years has got these cash grab intention end scenes that make no sense, but only imply I'm going to take your money again. I mean, it's just bare naked, bad writing and management of the property. And, and again, I'll go one more time. You got Blade available in the MCU. Why in the hell are you not thinking about doing a vampire versus the vampire hunter? Anybody? Feige, can you explain this to me? Why why can you not sit Amy in the corner and say, please, I've got plans. We can work together and make money. Just mm -hmm. don't get up. I honestly don't know what to tell you. I mean, I, I face it. We have talked at length about what else is going on in Spump. We've got Madam Webb casting up. We've got Craven shooting over in London. This is an ongoing enterprise, Aaron. And, you know, I'm, I'm actually going to be intrigued when we get to Craven to see how this potentially connects with Morbius. But it was one of these things where it was just so cynical, you know, yeah. just uh, all of the goodwill that, uh, and again, it, you look at it and, and again, I know that's weak praise, but it was professionally produced and there were some engaging performances from, from Leto and, and Smith and uh, rail, but it was one of these things where the villainous turn was, you know, and, and Matt did his damnedest to, to, to keep you off kilter by being Matt, by being charm. I mean, it's right. a, it was a great choice to, to go with a charming actor like that and, and make him your villain. But you just got the sense of a lot of this was, Somebody sitting at the dining room table with five different puzzles, and it's like with the sledgehammer of like, this piece of the sky will fit right here, you know, and that's that's how it, you know, and, and again, it was it was a pleasant experience right up until the, the these scenes sure. at the end, yeah. and that's too bad. Also, well, again, you're a movie out in theaters and you have an opening weekend like this. You have to look ahead to the fact that, you know, you have Sonic the Hedgehog 2 opening this week on April 8th. And then the weekend right after that, you have the third Fantastic Beast film, the, the Secret of Dumbledore. And it's like the box office oxygen goes out of the room this Friday. You know, mm -hmm. that anybody who showed up for this opening weekend isn't, you know, this isn't a, a no way home. Oh, you got to go back and see it again. This is a one and done. And it's made... $84 million worldwide, but... I will uh, reiterate words from Drew Taylor simply for the Matt Smith connection of uh, you're going to have to watch uh, Last Night in Soho because Matt Smith plays a wonderfully bad man in that movie. And uh, so even if you're a Matt Smith fan, Edgar Wright fan, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy fan, uh, it it's all good. Check it out. There we go. If you're looking for a good villain performance for Matt, go there. Yeah. So that's going to do it for this week, folks. Please come back next week when Aaron and I will wade into episode three of Moon Knight, and we can look to see what happened with Morbius over its second weekend. But in the meantime, Aaron, has always been fun following you on social media. And where can folks reach out to you to do that? Oh, well, simply just head over to Twitter and at... 
Azaprod, and uh, I answer you know a wide range of questions beyond beyond the Marvel thing. Some people recently, I was asked, uh, how much do I spend on a bottle of wine? Uh, and uh, I think uh, about a half an hour. That's my answer. I, I walked right into that. Okay. Um, all right. We'll tell you what. We uh, also do the social media thing. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Jim Hill Media. And over on Facebook is Jim Hill Media News. Likewise, uh, we do have a couple of other podcasts here. Uh, we have the Disney Ish I do with uh, Len Testa. Likewise, we were just talking about Drew Taylor, uh, the wonderful entertainment writer from The Wrap. Uh, he and I do fine-tuning together where we discuss animation news. And if you could do Aaron and I a favor, if you get out over to Apple Podcasts and rate and recommend the show you're listening to right now, Marvelous Disney. Uh, likewise, if you really, really, really like what you heard, if you want to head over to Bandcamp and subscribe, that would be helpful. We do have some fun new projects coming over the hill shortly, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet, but we'll talk more about that on, on some upcoming shows. But beyond that, thanks for listening, and we will be back soon.